1: Hello and welcome to Extra Time. I'm Alex Coogan-Reeves. This week we try to celebrate the start of the latest America's Cup regatta. The Kiwis league team and the Magic Nepple side both call on Australian coaches. We hear from one of New Zealand's best test bowlers and worst test batsmen on his decision to retire and a great southern man heads north to play for the Chiefs. A fatal training accident and the usual litigation associated with an America's Cup have cast a shadow over the start of the 34th edition of the Old Mug in San Francisco this weekend. Just three challengers will compete in the Louis Vuitton regatta, the winner going on to challenge holders Oracle for the America's Cup. If it wasn't for all the off-water issues, then it would be a very low-key start to the regatta. Stephen Hewson reports.
0: Just crossing, not crossing. Yeah, boys. The first race of the Louis Vuitton Challenger Series is due to begin on San Francisco Bay on Monday morning, when Team New Zealand will race Italian syndicate Luna Rossa. As the holders of sport's oldest trophy, the American syndicate Oracle had the right to choose the location, rules and boat design for the competition. They opted for fast and fragile 72-foot catamarans, a format designed to increase the excitement and spectator appeal of the event. The death though of English sailor Andrew Simpson, who died when the Swedish boat Artemis he was on board capsized during training in May, has highlighted the risks inherent in the high-tech approach. His death has led to safety changes, but Team New Zealand has appealed though, saying it agreed to all but two, which related to additional weight and the use of a piece of equipment called rudder elevators. This modification adds small fin-like attachments to the rudder to hold the stern down when the boat is sailing over the waves. The regatta director Ian Murray says it's a safety issue.
2: I want to see these boats have good control of the boats and whether it be a boat or an aeroplane they steer through the rudders and big rudders
0: steer well. Murray has suggested that if the rules aren't adopted then the regatta may not go ahead. Both Team New Zealand and Italian syndicate Luna Rossa believe the changes will affect performance and say all the teams need to agree on the changes. No matter the outcome, Team New Zealand skipper Dean Barker is confident they can adapt. The landscape's changed quite dramatically since even a year ago when we're expecting to be lining up with. Know both the other challenges on the start line and working hard for every point. Well, you know it's uh, it's not quite the way it is, but we have to adapt, and uh, and this has been a a key part of the team all the way through. Has been able to adapt to different challenges. You know it's uh, it's hard to believe that you know we're this close to racing and we're still having to deal with rules issues. But in the end, it's the America's Cup and uh, and things like this do happen. The challenges lodged by Team New Zealand and Luna Rossa have annoyed four times America's Cup winner Russell Coots, who's the chief executive of the Oracle Syndicate. There's
3: more talk, you know, it's, it's, um, they're not going to gain anything out of this. They, um, it's a bunch of people whining over, frankly, tiny rules that aren't going to change the outcome of this race.
0: Team New Zealand and Luna Rossa will compete in the opening rounds of the Louis Vuitton Cup by themselves, with Artemis unlikely to join them until August, which means racing in the first month may be restricted to just five races. The sailing director of the Artemis Syndicate Ian Percy says Andrew Simpson's death has in many ways made the team stronger. One thing is we were all very sure
4: about is we didn't want to end with this being our final chapter. You know we're sportsmen um, and we're America's Cup sailors and we wanted to compete in the America's Cup and I think it would be right for Bart and for the team for us to be out there.
0: As a sailing town, San Franciscans are expected to get out and support the event, although a public transport strike is currently restricting travel in the city. Tom Fitzgerald is the America's Cup reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle. He says there's a feeling that they're not going to get what they were promised three years ago. He says with just three challenges, but only two of them starting this weekend, it's a low-key opening.
2: Everybody's looking forward to the America's Cup finals itself between Oracle and whoever the winning challenger is. But before we get there, uh, the rest of it is going to seem like kind of a low-key affair uh, unless the racing is really dramatic. And, you know, when you've only got a few few teams, I keep uh, getting back to the metaphor of taking the wind out of their sails, but that's sure sure the way it looks.
0: So with few competitors, the prospect of one-sided races and ongoing litigation there are questions over just how compelling the 34th edition of the America's Cup will be. That's sport
1: reporter Stephen Houston. Barry Guy spoke with the America's Cup reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle, Tom Fitzgerald, and asked him what the feeling is like in the city ahead of the regatta, considering all the off water issues that have been going on.
2: The, the history of the America's Cup, of course, is rich in off-the-water uh, manoeuvring, much of it in a courtroom. In this case... There were a, a, a lot of different things that happened uh, to muddy the waters, if you will, uh, starting with the uh, the original plan of you know, going to the 72-foot catamarans and the high-tech equipment that was needed uh, when they decided on this three years ago. They, they thought it was going to be expensive, but I don't think they realized it was going to be so expensive, and, and I don't think they thought it was going to be so exclusive to the point where they only have three challengers, and one of which, of course, is tragically um had to delay its plans. So uh, then, then then there was of course the the continuing worldwide recession. There were then more recently of course there was the the accident with Artemis in, in, on May 9th that caused the, the death of the uh, the poor British sailor and it seemed like uh, then, of course, the recommendations by Ian Murray, which were controversial, he had 37 safety recommendations in the wake of the Artemis uh, wreck. Uh, the New Zealanders, of course, Luna Rasa were unhappy with some of them. And now, uh, on a kind of a smaller note, you have a, a major heat wave hitting, hitting uh, Northern California for the last week or so. and. And then on top of that, we have a BART strike, uh, which is the, the train system that feeds into San Francisco, and and that's how most people would be getting to the America's Cup, I would imagine. And there's no telling when that is going to be resolved. And in the meantime, uh, long lines of uh, commuters are uh, queuing up at uh, ferry uh, terminals and bus terminals and uh, trying to carpool their way into the city uh, just to go to work. So... where where the crowds are going to come from for the America's Cup uh, for the opening ceremony, for instance. That's going to be a a big question for those poor people who have to commute.
0: Have all of these other things overshadowed the racing itself in that perhaps uh, the America's Cup is not getting or will get the coverage that perhaps it deserves?
2: I think there's going to be plenty of coverage, but in the beginning it's going to be a little weird because you'll have the the uh, New Zealand boat and the Luna Rossa boat racing on Sunday, and then um, I think they only race five times uh, in the uh, con- uh, Challenger Series in the month of July and what's left of July. And so, in other words, there's only five races before we even before we get to August uh, because of Artemis's absence. It's just going to be. Uh, New Zealand and Lunarasa, and then over and over and over. It's going to be like Groundhog Day between those two teams. They're certainly going to get to know each other, and whoever establishes himself as the dominant of those two is going to be in a major position to win the Louis Vuitton Cup. Because by the time Artemis is ready, the other teams will have much more experience on the water and uh, hard experience in, in racing, and, and will have a, a, a clear upper upper hand when it gets to the semifinals. Now, the Artemis position is that they were aiming for the semifinals all along. Those are the those are the really the races that count, but you you need a lot of practice on the course. And uh, the, the races between New Zealand and uh, Rossa will give those two teams that experience while Artemis is sitting in the shed waiting for its boat to get ready.
0: Is all of this sort of just turning the whole thing perhaps into a bit of a farce?
2: I, I, I wouldn't go that far quite yet, but um, it, it has not been what uh, everybody had expected. In the first place, everybody had thought there were, that there were going to be Oh eight, ten, twelve uh, challengers. When the uh, regatta was organized, or the beginning of the the organization, uh, was uh, three years ago. Uh, we all thought it was going to be a major deal. That, that, that people, that the teams would be coming from all over the world, and just uh, we had a taste of it with the America's Cup World Series the last uh, couple of years, and they were uh, they were quite popular here on the 45 footers. I mean, there. there were. There were large crowds on the San Francisco waterfront watching those. It's just that now, with the field reduced to three challengers, and one of one of which won't be available until uh, sometime in August, it uh, it seems like a one big letdown from the uh, America's Cup World Series. Uh, everybody's looking forward to the America's Cup finals itself between Oracle and and whoever the winning uh, uh, challenger is, but. Before we get there, it, uh, the rest of it is going to seem like kind of a pretty low-key affair, uh, unless something, uh, unless the racing is really dramatic. And you know, when you've only got a few, a, a few teams, it just kind of takes the. I, I keep uh, getting back to the the uh, metaphor of taking the wind out of their sails, but that, that's sure, sure the way it looks.
5: And
0: San Francisco itself, uh, you know, are they going to the people going to get into this event?
2: Oh yeah, I, I think so. Uh, it's. Uh, I think everybody is curious to see how these, to watch these boats. They are really magnificent boats. They're, of course, extremely high tech, and we have uh, seen uh, the Oracle boat, the Oracle seventy-two, uh, capsized back in October, and, and was completely wrecked, and much of it sailed out to, to sea, or at least beyond the Golden Gate. And then, of course, we had the, the tragedy involving Artemis uh, on May 9th. And so, people know that these things are dangerous; that they go extremely fast; that the uh, that the fixed wing is uh, will propel uh, these boats at something like twice as fast as the wind. Uh, so, there's that element of uh, of danger and speed. And, uh, and and we've never seen boats like this here, uh, at least the size of these boats. So I think people are looking forward to that with a degree of curiosity. Now, whether that interest is sustained as we go along is, is hard to say because, as I said, when you've only got a couple of challengers, the racing may just take on a, a been-there-done-that type of feeling for people who, who saw the first couple of races. Maybe the if, if the second and third and fourth races are much like the first, then uh, people will lose interest
1: in a hurry. San Francisco Chronicles America's Cup reporter Tom Fitzgerald talking to Barry Guy. The former New South Wales Swifts netball coach Julie Fitzgerald has been appointed the new coach of the Waikato Bay of Plenty Magic. Fitzgerald has signed a two year contract and takes over from Nolene Taurua, who has stood down after six years in charge. Fitzgerald was head coach of the champion New South Wales Swifts in the inaugural year of the Trans Tasman competition in 2008, a position she held until 2011. She has since worked at the Australian Institute of Sport and last year was assistant coach with the Australian national side. She told Stephen Houston the opportunity to get back coaching in the Trans-Tasman competition was something she couldn't ignore.
6: Everybody would love to coach a team like Magic and I think they're, they're successful. They have some of the world's best players on their roster. But really just the lure of ANZ championships and working with another team is a big attraction.
0: Would you have preferred to stay in Australia?
6: No, I'm loving the idea of having something new and different meeting a whole lot of new people, living somewhere different, coaching a different style of netball. I'm really looking forward to the opportunity to do something different.
0: How much of a different style is there and how much adapting is there going to have to be for you and for the players that you're now in charge of?
6: Look, I think every year of the ANC Championships the styles get a little bit closer anyway. Um, I have no plans to make massive changes to the style with which Magic play, just to hopefully refine some of the areas that I hope that I can contribute. Obviously, any coach is going to make their mark on a team, but I don't think my mark will be dramatic on someone who's been so successful in the past.
0: What do you think the Magic side will particularly notice about, about Julie Fitzgerald? What coaching style do you bring?
6: I think I'm very much a players coach. I enjoy getting to know players. I like to know them individually. I like to know what they respond to. I like to know what brings out the best in them. I'm very competitive. I can't bear to lose. And I like, I think, to win, you have to work really hard. So I hope that they're the three things they pick up from me.
0: Are you still going to have any involvement with the Diamonds?
6: No, none at all.
0: The style of play, there's been a fair bit of discussion this year about the physicality of it. What have you noticed from sort of sitting out for the last couple of seasons, changes that that have gone on, has it got more physical?
6: I think it it will continue to get a little bit more physical every year simply because players are faster and fitter and stronger. So by the time you put 14 people in the one area, I think it's natural that things will get a little bit more physical. Um, But I still strongly believe that you have to be disciplined and play to the umpires, and I'm always aware of contact penalties and trying to keep that down.
0: What area do you think the Magic particularly need to work on?
6: possibly a little bit of consistency throughout a season. But they're the sort of things you don't really know until you actually work with players. I think you can make observations from the outside, but you don't really put your finger on it quite so much until you're working within the group.
0: How much of an advantage do you think being an Australian and coming from that Australian background is going to bring to the franchise?
6: Well, I hope it gives them a bit of an advantage, particularly when we play in Australia. That's always been a problem for New Zealand teams. So I hope that I can bring a little bit of an advantage in that regard.
0: The player roster, how quickly do you need to to move on that? Because there's been suggestions that the likes of Irene Van Dyke, Laura Langman and and Casey Kupu could be on the move.
6: Um, Very quickly. It's very high on my priorities to get over there and meet with all of the players individually and see what they're thinking and what we can do for them.
0: What about Australian players? Do you anticipate bringing any with you?
6: I don't anticipate it. I think the most important thing is to work out what we've got from the Magic franchises that exist at the moment and then we'll have a look at what we might need or if we need anything at all.
0: Will you be sitting down and discussing things with Nolene at all?
6: Most definitely. I have the greatest respect for Nolene. I've got to know her quite well in the years that we've competed against each other. I think she's done an amazing job and I have a lot of respect for her and I really welcome the opportunity to sit down and have a chat to her.
0: When you come over to New Zealand, what in particular or do you notice about the way netball's perceived here and, and the difference too in Australia?
6: Oh, there's no doubt in the world that netball has a higher profile in New Zealand people seem to appreciate the sport um, across the population a lot more than they do in Australia. We have very, very loyal fans in Australia, but I think the depth of understanding of the sport of netball would be greater in New Zealand.
0: And what are your your thoughts generally on how the final is going to play out?
6: Um, well there's a couple of young girls from the AIS playing in the Firebirds team so I'd like to see them win and there's a few that I'm very fond of in Thunderbirds and Vixens you can never discount so I would never put my money on it I think this will be one of the most closely contested final series we've seen
1: That's the new Magic coach, Julie Fitzgerald And it's not just New Zealand netball sides appointing Australians to coaching roles Rugby League is in on the act as well the Kiwis caught the media by surprise this week when they announced Ivan Cleary as assistant coach for the World Cup campaign later this year. Cleary is well-known to New Zealanders, having played for and coached the Warriors for a number of years and describes himself as half a Kiwi. I caught up with the head coach, Stephen Kearney, who says Cleary is an ideal fit for the role.
4: His coaching you know, ability obviously was an important part of it and um, obviously what he's done you know, with the Warriors here, and you know, what he's trying to do at, at Penrith, and um, at the minute, you know, I, I don't, I didn't really have to question his coaching ability, and uh, I know, you know, Tony Ora has is, you know, obviously working really closely with him, has a, has a real um, high opinion of him, and um, so, you know, that was the important part to begin with, and then it was just a matter of, the, you know, the feel, what I thought... Uh, his relationship with some of the staff already, that he, the relationship that he has some, with some of the staff already, and some of the players, and, and um, I, just thought, I just thought it was the ideal fit for us. And um, you know, when I rang Ivan to talk to him about it, um, the possibility of the role, you know, the way he responded, you know, just basically indicated that I, that was he was the right person for the job.
1: And in terms of styles as coaches, do you see yourself as being pretty similar in terms of your philosophy, or or do you think he brings something a bit different?
4: Yeah, well, I think he you know certainly bring something a bit different. I think you know, with footy, it's it's not it's not I don't think it's a real complicated process. It's just a you know um, I think everyone will have the same I guess principles and and um, uh, philosophies in a, in, a, in a certain manner. But he he definitely will bring bring something different and. You know that's something I'm looking forward to, and, and I know, if, you know, if I'm looking forward to it, I know the group will get something out of that too. So, uh, and that's what I'm looking, you know, I'm excited about.
1: And how important was it for you to have someone that had a strong connection with New Zealand working with you? Obviously, there's a lot of good coaches in the NRL that you could have gone to, but um, Ivan's connection with New Zealand obviously played a big part.
4: I think it helps. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Uh, I think it helps, and and and. Um, you know that that I guess that affinity with you know with the, the New Zealand way and and uh, how the lads uh, operate and um, and how we uh, the, you know the culture that uh, you know that we've built over the last um, probably four or five years uh, was important. We we try and enhance that with someone like Ivan, and I think that's uh, that was an important part of the process.
1: And the reaction from uh, all your players has been positive um, about getting him on board.
4: Yeah, you know obviously was you know with the captain. It was, you know, it was really important that he was on board with what we, you know, what we're trying to do, and you know, he was really, you know, excited about it. Simon and, and um, used him up a bit to, you know, try and uh, just reinforce what, you know, what about getting Ivan on board and giving him a ring to, you know, make sure that, that, you know, telling me how good it is being part of the Kiwi group. So, yeah, that that was really important. And when you did
1: this last time in 2008, obviously you had a very experienced coach um, working alongside with you. How much does that help having? Someone you've got now another someone who's a head coach in their own right uh, working with you.
4: It can only be a positive in in someone like Ivan who you know will come from a, with a different perspective and obviously with the experience that he has. I, I think it's a you know I think it's a real positive.
1: And and just more generally, i um, looking at the form of the players you're looking at to take uh, later in the year. How are you pretty happy with the way they're all going?
4: Yeah, it's I, I, I think. Uh, you know, I look at the Warriors and the way they're performing at the moment and, you know, after, you know, a pretty, you know, tough old start to the season, you know, the way they've performed, you know, Simon Mannering has really led the way there. Sean Johnson is I think Sean's, you know, really come on well, Thomas and, you know, a number of them, Elijah Taylor and Conrad Arrell over the last probably couple of weeks and so and that's one example, you know, I think the Roosters guys are, you know, playing well, young, um Roger and, you know, Frank Paul and um yeah, so the the talent is, you know, is there, and it's it's just really tough to make a decision on that now, or you know, to, but, but I think the guys who are, who are in contention are playing good footy. You know, Josh Hoffman, you know, he's been, you know, Brisbane's most consistent performer all year, and he's playing great footy. So, um, yeah, I know the talent's there. It's just a matter of making sure that we get to the end of the year with, you know, with the guys in good shape and in good health.
1: And you mentioned the roosters, obviously there's a guy playing in the second row there going alright, have you had many uh, discussions with Sonny Bill about his plans or just your thoughts on how you intend to use him or if you do? Yeah,
4: again, you know, Sonny's obviously, you know, there's a lot of um, things that, you know, we'll have to consider whether he's still, you know, playing our game next year, you know, so it's it's a challenge and it's constant dialogue with, with, with Sonny um, to track how he's going and, uh, you know, the one thing I will say is he was really keen to play in the ANZAC Day test, and unfortunately, you know, that didn't, you know, d- didn't eventuate. But uh, we'll just see how things pan out.
1: And equally with Benji Marshall, obviously he's had a pretty tough year. He's sort of starting to come into form, but his uh, future's sort of all up in the air. Um, what's the situation with him as far as the Kiwis?
4: Yeah, or well, you know, nothing changes with Ben. You know, he's our ex-captain. He's part of, you know, the wider extended squad. So, you know, from our point of view, um, we, we can't control, you know, a decision that comes, that, that he makes in the in the near future. So as far as we're concerned, you know, uh, he's part of the group and um, we'll just see how things pan out.
1: That's the Kiwi's coach, Stephen Kearney. The retiring cricketer, Chris Martin, says he got more abuse about his lack of batting prowess in supermarket car parks than he ever did on the playing field. After 71 tests, 21 day internationals and 6 T20 internationals for New Zealand, the 38-year-old Martin has announced he's giving up the sport. He's taken 233 test wickets to sit behind only Dan Vittori and Sir Richard Hadley on the Black Caps' all-time test wicket-taking list. With a new crop of fast bowlers now in the Black Caps, 38-year-old Martin told Stephen Hewson he knew it was time to step aside.
3: It's been on my mind for a while, um, I suppose... Throughout the, the summer, which wasn't one of my better ones, um, watching a lot of the younger guys do good jobs was enough for me to think that, OK, my time in the limelight has gone. A lot of players who uh, have been through a similar process, they all say, you know, the time is right, and you and you tend to lose a bit of that passion that keeps you going and keeps you fighting for your spot. I definitely felt that this year.
0: The, the, the urge or the, the competitive spirit just wasn't as strong
3: not quite as strong. I, I think you also mm. uh, you outgrow um, the game and perhaps um, in some ways the team and where it's going. Um, you, you tend to, uh, I suppose, it's, it's an evolution of the side and, and in many ways those young guys have, have had to push pretty hard to get their spots and now that they have them, um, it's, it's, it's great to see them uh, prospering. So I think for me... Um, there's going to be different priorities, especially at the age of 38. I, I definitely squeezed every last little piece out of uh, out of my cricketing body, so um, I definitely had a great run. So it was it was time to go.
0: Did you feel like a granddad?
3: Uh, <laughs> the good thing is that, that being in those environments, the, the younger guys tend to keep you young. Um, you have to uh, you have to be on your toes. They're all pretty sharp. Um, with their wit and with their with their fashion and with their tastes and it tends to keep you young trying to figure out exactly uh, how, how how to fit into a changing room that's that's definitely changed over the years
0: does it also make you think though I'm just glad I'm not young again
3: it does it does I've got to go down and uh, speak to um, Christchurch boys high school students next week and uh, I think um, that's one of the messages <laughs> that I'm probably going to give that i I, I don't really want to be sitting where you all are sitting, but um, make sure you enjoy it while you're there. I think uh, being young is one thing, but the experience side of, of life is uh, is definitely a lot better, especially when you've got kids.
0: When you set out on the, your test career, would you have foreseen that you'd become the country's third leading test wicket taker?
3: Hell no. No, no. <laughs> um, I think uh, my first milestone was, was 50 test wickets and I was I was actually pretty Pretty bloody stoked. I think um, maybe a lot of the younger guys in the changing room now, um, hopefully, have their their sights pinned on on something a lot a lot higher than probably what I did at, at a similar age. But um, I was never really goal focused. Uh, but the longer I played, the more attainable some of these goals became. So that um, that was actually in the end something that that drove me. Um, but I think uh, yeah, top top three um, is. Yeah, pretty bloody good.
0: You don't come across as the, having the, the the personality of a, of a nasty fasty. Is it in you there? You come across as very much a friendly, affable bloke.
3: I think at various times opposition see it, uh, but it's it's normally because uh, I've probably directed a lot of that anger at at what I'm doing and and how I'm bowling. Um, it's not necessarily at the batsman, but there's definitely simmering away there. Otherwise, the uh, the competitive side of you would. Would get mowed down by someone who was a, a little bit kind of more competitive, but I, I never really felt that that was happening. I, I was always in the game, so um, I just expressed it slightly differently to to a lot of other people who who would rather um, put themselves under pressure by being quite um, in the in the batsman's face, so that they had to lift their game to to not look like um, you know a bit of a buffoon. So uh, I just kept it all pretty calm, but uh, it's definitely there.
0: Much is made of your your batting. Do you, do you wish you'd maybe done things a bit differently in your your younger day?
3: Yes, um, absolutely. I think uh, if you're getting held up as a as a reason for, for young kids to um, learn to bat, then um, you're obviously not doing a very good job. So I think uh, if you some of the advice that I would probably give uh, most young people that I, I bump into is to, to be more than just one of the skills. I think you, you need both. Um, but unfortunately, my my abilities with the bat never really um, had many good days, and I think uh, yeah, I suppose getting asked questions about it means that it's it's, it's really hasn't hasn't been up to scratch. So uh, I'll probably just have to live with that one. But I'm hoping that over the years the, the bowling side of things will come into and in clearer focus and and we can talk about that a bit more
0: yeah, much was made of the fact you know that you didn't have room to to carry your bat as you headed to to practices on your on your bike but did did you how much batting practice did you do when you were in the test side and, and, and first class stuff
3: i think uh, because I'd played so long I, I tried quite a few things over the years um from not training at all to um actually putting quite a bit of work in and and having certain um, batsmen and certain teams look after me and try and get me to at least swing the bat or um, um, I normally stayed in line but um, at least there was a a little bit of mentoring going on there for a while but to be fair um, if the ball's hurting at me at over 140 clicks then um, I'm in a bit of trouble (laughs) Um, but uh, it never really got any better. I, I found perhaps at first class level there were times when I wasn't as, as petrified by the ball coming as fast as, as at the international level and I could stick around a bit longer but um, runs were never something that I was particularly good at accumulating so um, I'll just have to live with that one, take it on the chin.
0: Were you getting sledged much when you were out there?
3: No, um, maybe at club level um, where the, the humour is, is perhaps a little more in your face um, but at the international level, it's, it's quite businesslike, especially for a guy who legitimately can't hold a bat. They, they tend to just focus in on, on getting them out as quickly as possible. Um, I have had a few, a few guys who would rather, um, try and hurt me at times, but, um, that has been relatively, uh, sort of few and far between. So, um, yeah, you definitely, you cop a wee bit more in a, in a car park at a supermarket or, or, um. You know, just general everyday life, than you, than you would on the park.
0: Looking back, what what do you see as your, your career highlights?
3: Uh, I had a a couple of years out of out of the test side um, around 2002 to 2004, um, but I got myself back in the team um, and played well at Eden Park against the South Africans, and we actually won the won the game. So I think any time you, you you tend to put your hand up on on. In the test match, and it ends up um, having a victory for New Zealanders, one that you can definitely say is a highlight. And I suppose uh, another day in Ahmedabad in India um, two years ago um, with a FIFA, which was definitely something that I'll look back on very fondly.
0: What are you looking forward to doing the most?
3: Um, My summers, I think. Uh, I've never really had the flexibility to. to enjoy the beach or to go to um, concerts or wineries or even weddings. Um, You know, a lot of things that you you tend to take for granted um, throughout a summer. So I'm looking forward to that. And I'm looking forward to being on call with my family. I think that definitely took a bit of a hit this year. Um, In a lot of ways, you do just outgrow playing cricket and and it's time to to actually grow up and, and move on
1: to something else. That's the retiring bowler Chris Martin talking to Stephen Houston. And another Black Cap veteran's international career was put in doubt this week with the former captain Dan Vittori announcing he's taking time away from the game to deal with injury problems. Vittori has rejected a central contract with New Zealand cricket, choosing to undergo surgery on the troublesome Achilles injury that's limited his playing time over the last year. He says he didn't want the pressure of having to play cricket while he
5: was recovering from surgery. The injury's been hanging around for a long period of time and I suppose hoping that this is the the surgery is the catalyst to finally get it right, but it's still going to be a long process, and a lot of that time will be while New Zealand's playing uh, games of cricket. And I suppose in a lot of ways it didn't feel right to to take that where my future was still uh, still unsure, my future and, and whether I'll, whether I'll get back. So I, I suppose I just want to um, have no, nothing hanging over me and be able to rehab it and, and get it right, and then if it does come right, then I'll be able to come back and play.
1: Daniel Vittori's 40 test wickets shy of becoming just the second player to get 400 dismissals and 4,000 runs following the Indian Kapil Dev. He's not sure if that goal is still achievable.
5: It take me too long the way I bowled the last little while. So, If I come back fully fit, then that, that's an exciting carrot, but if, if I don't, then it, then it is a long way away. It's been a, a real grind the last 18 months with the injury, and, and in a lot of ways it probably has de- diminished some of the appetite to do a lot of things, but I think that's purely down to the, to the injury. So if I can get this injury right, then who knows? Dan Vittori.
1: After seven years with the Highlanders, the stalwart prop Jamie McIntosh is moving to the Chiefs for next year's Super Rugby season. McIntosh, affectionately known as Whopper, has been an institution in the deep south since making his Southland debut in 2004. However, he has struggled for game time at the Highlanders this year following the arrival of the All Blacks loosehead Tony Woodcock on a two-year contract. Stephen Hewson spoke to the 28-year-old about the move and asked how hard it was for him to leave his home franchise.
7: It's been a pretty tough decision, I guess. It's just arose over the last sort of um, three or four weeks, really, just. Yeah, as mentioned, I've been lucky enough to be here since um, yeah, 2004 when I left school. I trained here for three years and lived up here. So you know, last 10 years, been Holland has been a huge part of my life. So you know, it wasn't a decision I took lightly. And you know, once I made it, actually, you know, I'm really excited about the new opportunity I've been given to go up to Hamilton to play for the Chiefs.
0: So at what point did you decide that you were going to, to leave?
7: Oh, only just recently, really. Only just in um, it all been sorted out in the last week or so, Um just, you know, as I said, it was, you know, it's been a pretty tough season down here for me, but, you know, it was just one of those things that, uh, you know, the opportunity arose and, um, you know, I got talking uh Dave Rennie and I, I talked to Tom Collentry on the phone a couple of times and, you know, he was a really good guy to deal with. You know, I'm looking forward to getting up there and working with Tom, Dave and, and Smithy who I, I dealt with in the Allbacks a bit.
0: Did you have any other offers to consider?
7: Oh, there's a couple of wee bites from other teams. I guess the way the, the franchising, franchise contracting model works now is that you can um, talk to players who are coming off contract and um, I was off contract at the end of the year and obviously people knew what kind of a position I was in but um, you know, the Chiefs one was the only real serious one and um, you know, I, was, I was really lucky that they you know, showed a bit of interest in me and, and gave me an opportunity really.
0: Did you sit down and talk with Jamie Joseph? You, things were pretty much mapped out that you weren't going to... Sort of be first choice. I, I imagine you obviously knew that given the limited game time you've had this year.
7: Yeah, well, I think that's pretty obvious to to everyone from the outsiders. You know, I've tried to do all I can um, for the team this year, which is something I'm really proud of. You know, I I never dropped my lip once, and on and off the field, you know, I, I did what I could to the best of my abilities, and you know, I felt like I played some pretty good rugby this year, given the opportunity. And you know, with Woody signing a two year contract, um, you know, I'm I'm 28 now, and um, you know, hopefully the next two years of my career are going to be my best rugby. And I wanted to stay in New Zealand to do that and, and hopefully have another crack at making the All Blacks. And, you know, it was always going to be pretty tough, you know, being behind Woody down here. So, um, no, and I'm not even guaranteed game time up in Hamilton, really. You know, I know they've got a pretty good front row right up there at the moment and young police and money is going really well. And so I've got my work cut out for me up there, but I just feel it's probably a better opportunity for me to get into a different environment and, you know, secure a bit more game time.
0: I mean, you're quite a rare breed uh, uh, given this age of professionalism, aren't you? Given that you have spent your time at, at one franchise, there's not too many other players around like that.
7: No, I guess... Uh, I think what's happened to me is a little bit out of my control, really. Like, as I said, I, like loyalty is one of my biggest you know, traits, from, you know, particularly when I, with my footy, and you know, I'm really lucky to be... You know, my family, you know, I've got a farm down in South, and it's always been my dream to play for the Hondas, and, you know, I've got to captain them and, and do that for a couple of years, too, which was pretty awesome, but... um. Yeah, as I said I think it's the way professional rugby is now and you know, I was just a shame that, you know, that two prop on the rule bench wasn't in this year. It would have maybe given me a bit more game time, but you know, um the Hollanders, you know, when they signed Woody it, you know, the outlook didn't look that great for me and um and with him being here for two years I guess I had to make a decision what's best for my career and yeah, you know, the good thing about that is is I've become really good mates with Woody this year and I've learned all I can off him and yeah, I gotta chew the fat with the best Lucy prop in the world for a year and, and learn my trade and as I mentioned become good mates with him. So yeah, I'm I'm really proud of myself and the way I've dealt with things this year and, and then yeah, I was really lucky to, to meet Woody. So um yeah, it's been pretty cool.
0: Yeah, how how difficult was it? Because him coming in, you you obviously saw the, the writing on the wall there and given the, the loyalty you have shown to, to the franchise, you must have felt hard done by it, and, and justifiably so.
7: Yeah, I guess, um, yeah, I, you know, I don't want to get into too much sour grapes because it's not really the way I am. You know, look, at what, it was a tough decision. It was tough for me, you know, particularly being the captain at that time, you know, to know that they kind to the same guy in my position. But, you know, I made a conscious decision that, you know, I could have left last year, but I wanted to come back to the Hondas to attend them meant a lot to me. I wanted to give them the all for the year. And, and as I said, I, I know that I can lie down on my bed at night and, and know that I did that. You know, I did everything I could this year. Um, to be a good father and, and to go out the way I wanted to be remembered, and and I was just really lucky actually that the Chiefs gave me an opportunity, and and as I said, now my my lord is up there, you and know, I've got to get up there and um you know I'm going to show them you know what I'm about, and you know one thing I do is love playing rugby and I love being in a team, and um you know I'm really excited about you know proving what I'm about as a footy player to a new group of people, and you know I've been down here for the same you know, as I mentioned for quite a few years, and. You know, to get up there and it'll be pretty scary pretty exciting and, and something new and hopefully give me a bit of a lift and, and push me on to better things
0: Do you know much about the Chiefs players? I mean have you had much to to do with any of them or have you got sort of good friendships there or was it pretty much new territory?
7: You no, know, I used to be really good friends with a lot of them you know like I guess a few of that are left like Rich Kahui and Stevie Donald and, and growing up you know I always loved the old Waikato teams I loved you know uh, the Scotty McLeod era with you know just a whole lot of them and there was one team that Shield team that I always looked up to but you know, I don't really know a lot about um, the region which is something I'm really excited about you know you get up there and and meet some new people and have a look around. But as far as players in the Chiefs, you know, I played a lot of rugby with Lamb. You know, I guess in New Zealand, you know, the players pretty well. You meet them after most games, and I'm always playing against them. So have got some pretty good relationships with others up there. Obviously, Robbie Romps up there, Nick Croswell played for the Hollanders. Um, Mahani Swalga played for the, uh, the Hondas as well. So, And I'm really looking forward to getting to know Sam Kane, Brody Bertullock, guys like that. Um, you know, I think those guys, um, you know, the next you know, best thing in New Zealand rugby and I watch them play every weekend and they're pretty awesome players so you know, I'm lucky I'll get to go up and, you know, meet some followers like that and play footy with guys like that.
0: And M P C you'll be sticking around for Southland?
7: Yeah, I'm down with Southland this year and hopefully um, touch a bit of wood get my hundredth game I'm on ninety two now and um but more importantly I just you know I want to have a good year for Southland and you know, last year wasn't as great a year as we would have wanted as a team so get back on track with that and, and I'm in negotiations for signing up for South the next year so hopefully that will works out over the next few weeks and, you know, I'll be sort of sorted out, you know, up to Hamilton for my Super Rugby and down home for the Stags and, you know, just keep things pretty simple, just get to know some new people, work hard, enjoy my footy and, um, and you know, and, and do something new.
0: As you mentioned 28, to be honest, you're still reasonably young for, for a prop. You've got to your, your best years ahead of you and obviously an, an all-black spot or, or getting another chance that the All Blacks is what you're after.
7: Yeah, I think everyone who recommits to New Zealand rugby wants to be an All Black, and I think I've always worked hard, and I've, I know how to sweat hard, but I think it's other bits that I've got to get right, I have been really good at that over the last two years, just working on the smaller things, and you know, I'm looking forward to getting up there, working on my scrummaging and um, really performing and,
1: and getting making a good unit. The new chief signing Jamie McIntosh speaking with Stephen Hewson. And that's extra time for this week. You can get in touch with us by emailing to sport at radioNZ.co.nz. I'm Alex Coogan-Reeves and we'll be back next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince.
6: Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus,